Welcome everyone to the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. The point is, we all know each other's jobs and positions, so whatever happens, we're ready for it. The Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 207, One Bad Day, is brought to you by Lily Ann's Check Cashing, because only jabronis hit up some grocery store for chump change. Well, Pete, here we are. Happy February as we enter our third calendar month of intensive Marvel Cinematic Universe podcasting, having gone from Runaways to Punisher. And uh, no news yet as to when Jessica Jones will drop. Probably not this month, but uh, it's always great to be in the MCU. Fingers crossed because Matt and I don't want to die on microphone. (laughs) Pete, so true. Uh, I can't wait for there to be more Jessica Jones. I can't wait for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to return. I can't wait for Cloak and Dagger to return. But if we get a a couple weeks respite between the one and the other, um, I would be okay with that. I mean, our cup runneth over, but let's keep it real, man. Need a a breather once in a while. And when you consider we've been going pretty much nonstop since December 21st when runaways. But Matt, let's get to the recap the episode opens with an official inquiry into what into whom it's madani and hospital bed head bandaged black eyes all one year ago it's just getting started but marion puts the inquiry on pause dismissing the questioner making sure everyone is on the same page madani is ready to spin the obvious story her poor choice with russo lets rawlins have his name in lights and madani keep her job Marion is impressed by Madani's grit, so don't like the lie, just understand it. This is balanced by Madani's interest in the truth. The interviewer returns, asking about the details of Madani's relationship with Billy Russo, as well as Madani being aware of Billy the criminal. Madani also admits she should have been on to Billy's criminal actions earlier. Interview over, Marion talks about a shared sense of dealing with the downside of a mission gone bad, as well as justice versus truth. Are you good with that? In the present day, Frank is asking if Madani's good with that. He highlights that he could kill Billy and walk away. It's not easy and not peace, but he could do it. It's war. She says it isn't war over here. It's home here. He doesn't see much of a difference. Kurt is there too, wishing Billy would be dead. Frank suggests that, while he can do the job, maybe they need to do it for themselves. The next morning she awakes, popping pills, flashing back to her past with Billy. The credits show the episode is written by Felicia D. Henderson, co-executive producer of The Punisher, and directed by Jet Wilkinson, veteran of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, How to Get Away with Murder, and more. At Dr. Dumont's apartment, we see her in bed with Billy, and things are intimate and focused on mutual consensual pain and pleasure she notes afterwards that if you live with pain long enough you start to miss it he touches her scars and she tells him to ask the answer is that she had a fall age nine and it took two years to get put back together an accident later she looks in the mirror smiling with billy she asks where he's going he feels good today because of her because of his guys he doesn't want to feel trapped and he wants to feel a little of the life that he had She, meanwhile, doesn't want to be the reason he dies and pleads with him to stay. He walks and she pushes against the window, watching. 
Elsewhere, Madani's getting a report about the prints from the diner. They have prints for everyone, but can't ID the mystery man we know as Pilgrim. The criminalistics worker says he's not in the system, and the system and its computers can be manipulated. Later, she meets up with Marion, the latter of which ponders what it's like to be told by a random stranger to smile. She wishes someone had put a pillow on Russo's face while in the coma, but the CIA stays off home soil. Madani shares that Frank's in play, and Miriam is a bit impressed. She wants a gut check from her CIA friend, wants to find a new normal. But can she handle these dirty jobs? Back with Frank and Curtis, a door is unlocked and Frank goes in first. It's a dark and dirty room, though empty. It's Jake's place, and he's been doing drugs in there. Later, they're sitting in a car, staking out the bar. Frank is impatient but reminded that standing still is most of life. He talks about slowing down for a moment, meeting Beth. It's led to the current mess. Curtis wonders if they can shake down Jake by finding his meth dealer. Elsewhere, Billy and his masked bandits are practicing a job. It's a bank job, and Bobby from Bank Security reminds everybody he's the key to the whole thing. They practice and practice, then talk about the drive there. Jake wants to sleep at his place, but Billy says no. Later, Jake needs that meth and goes for a walk. Come morning, Curtis finds him. Frank, too, and one punch later, they're in Jake's apartment, the attic separated from his meth. Madani's there, too, and old Jake never heard of Billy Russo, though. And those scars? Frank's the one that put them there. Frank knows Jake won't give up his brother in arms. Madani flashes her badge, saying Jake's an accessory for the plans to come. Jake may have rights, but Madani's not really there. Frank releases him and gives him a knife, but he's no match for the Punisher. The knife goes into Jake's hand. Madani watches, the camera close and claustrophobic. After a moment, she stops it and takes Frank in the hall. Are they any better than Billy and Rollins? Inside, Curtis pulls the knife and cleans Jake's wound, telling the soldier the wrongs Billy has done. Frank and Madani return, Frank alternating between paternal care and a knife to Jake's neck. Jake spills the beans. They leave, and Frank and Curtis are ready to attack, but Madani plans on flipping this over to Brett Mahoney. The men approach the warehouse just as the crew pulls out with a modified Jakeless plan in place. At Ready Quick, the check-cashing place, money is brought in. It's an impressive long-take shot, the money being dropped off, the guards leaving, the customers enter, and so do the masked robbers. Billy reiterates, everyone stay cool and no one dies. Lillianne is told to push the button to open the door. She won't, as it's on a timer. He doesn't believe her. She says this business was built by her veteran father and won't turn over the money. Billy takes out a grenade, but she says it won't fit, and her worker buzzes the door open. You can't find good help these days. The workers get their wrists zip-tied while the crew empties out the back, and they take a worker as hostage. Frank and Curtis are on the way, with Frank wanting to leave his friend behind in the car. Frank takes Jake's mask and jacket. He approaches the masked gang, leaving the job. Frank takes off his mask and army jacket. The Punisher vest has returned. Guns fire, but Billy is a muddy, out-of-focus mess. For him, it's news that the skull is Brother Frank. Some robbers are taken out, with one sniping from above, missing Frank twice. A car chase ensues, ending the episode. Pete, let's talk villains for this episode. Let's start at least chronologically. Is Marion James a villain? Love that Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio shows back up here in season two. 
definitely enjoyed her presence in the first season. And, you know, as somebody um, who's overseen the CIA and helped Madani out to get her in the flashback a year earlier when she's giving her statement after having been shot to see her at her most vulnerable. And then later on to meet her overlooking New York city and basically, well, you know, maybe you have castle kill Russo, maybe they kill one other one another and, you know, you wash your hands of it whatever it's but the cia doesn't operate on home soil except when we operate on home soil i think too there's the kind of affirmational you know older woman in the government structure in the boys club whatever it might be trying to give a little guidance to a similarly tempered woman uh Mm -hmm. in the let's say first half of her career in madani there also is that helping of truth you know marion james might be a villain in our story or a villain to us as we sit in the safety of our homes on the couch watching Netflix. Is she, is she the hero that we need behind the scenes? You know, is she one of these people who is crossing the lines when necessary in order to keep us safe? Um, you know, maybe, and that opens the door to a whole other kind of morality discussion, but is she doing some of these dirty jobs behind the scenes for a measurable greater good? Well, she certainly thinks so. I think that is the weighty issue behind this episode, one that touches on PTSD, um, one that gets again to the plight of our veterans and how they can be misunderstood and how that can be twisted for some sort of ulterior ideology. But Madani's shift from willingly going along with Frank to now wanting him to not hurt Jake, to not go after Billy, to have the cops handle this instead. She's going to contact Mahoney, um, lets you know that a change has occurred. Yeah, certainly, you know, here we are at the midpoint and her moral compass sharpening. Um, but Pete, back to people that are definitely in the villainous uh, end of things. Let's talk Billy here, who only escalates his own uh, situation in this episode. Not only leading these veterans into harm's way, a poor decision, and and they're willingly going with him. So it's not as if he's he's tricking them, but then turning on some of them as well. What he's done with uh, Bobby there as they're training, uh, asserting his dominance over him, despite Bobby being the one that came to them with the uh, the check cashing place to knock over because of his involvement for the lock armored car. And then what they do to Jake, you know what? Hey, he's not part of this anymore. Oh, and we're not splitting uh, with him. We're not giving him a share. Yeah. Billy most certainly is willing to, as you said, assert his dominance. I think also he, he wants to be top of this pile. And as things shift, IE Jake's reliability, uh, the nature of the holdup, things like that. He's kind of more interested on maintaining that, uh, that spot at the top of the pile than maybe successfully handling the, the, the job than, 
keeping Jake around who could just walk down to the nearest precinct and spill his guts. Um, but yeah, Billy certainly in that case of uh, just being that number one bad guy that Pete we need in the middle of this season. Um, but as we've discussed a little bit already, we also have his crew to atone for some some sins of villainy. Yeah, nobody does it alone, Matt. And here, Billy has these followers. He has these sycophants uh, as the alpha. He needs a number of betas, people who can't do it on their own, um, that makes the nature of what he does with them, to them, and, you know, quote unquote, for them, all the more insidious. I think as well, if we're looking for some sort of social commentary here or, or takeaway commentary for our real world, you know, these were, can we assume, essentially honorable guys did their time in the service, did what was asked of them, et cetera. But having come back to uh, a certain lack of, uh, of, of a landing pad, if you will. And, and again, I don't know how much you want to say, oh, these guys are scarred by their service versus hey, as soon as they don't have the the rigidity of being in the armed services, now they're they're up to no good. Um, you know, so it's not the fault of the military experience or the fault of coming home. It's just maybe they were bad apples all along. But here they are without that guidance and without kind of any structure and quickly losing sense of honor, sense of protection, sense of country, sense of duty to just form this this, you know, gang of robbers that's knocking off a family business that happens to have some cash that you would go from protecting our country to robbing uh, a family owned for generations check cashing institution started by a soldier. I mean, do your homework to the, the people you're hurting. Um, I, I think that was the cherry on top of the Sunday in terms of how they're going about attempting to get what they believe is theirs that society has screwed them over from. And then you consider that Billy somehow admires Lillianne uh, for being this tough old bird, but was ready to throw the frag grenade into the little window there and uh, blow her and two employees up. I think from a writing point of view, this is the perfect place for them to be robbing because it really highlights all you said in, in, in terms of, you know, in terms of it being a completely sympathetic uh, place to rob, you know, as opposed to say, hey, it's 2008 or 2009 housing crisis. Oh, you know, Ant-Man robbed from the rich, give to the poor because it's it's big, bad, you know, named bank, big, big, bad, multi multinational bank. This being this mom and pop thing, being a check cashing place, Pete, something that tends to exist for people who don't look, kind of live in the banking sphere, you know, mm-hmm. who, who aren't in addition to, you know, their direct deposit paychecks. They're also, you know, not working on a 401k and, you know, let's let's go to the art thing on the weekend, pick up paintings for our townhouse, that kind of thing. It's serving a, a slightly lower income uh clientele traditionally family owned soldier started i mean it's every box that you could check if you want to come up with a place that also could have enough money worth robbing in kind of in one fell swoop and you know all of that completely organic completely believable and painting billy uh, billy's crew even jake in a negative light you could make an argument even beneath them 
in terms of social structure, uh, picking on uh, people in a, you know, tougher part of their life rather than these vets. Um, you know, the line I come back to when they're practicing, you know, we might run into some vets cashing their checks um, and that they would take from them, they would take from essentially people like themselves or even worse off. Um, not like you're robbing, you know, uh, Citibank or, you know, Wells Fargo or any of these big ones that would absorb it. I mean, please understand Fantastic Geek is not endorsing bank robbery in the least. It's wrong. It's illegal. It's immoral. Um, but those bigger places are protected by the federal government in terms of insurance. Uh, FDIC insures you up to $100,000. A check cashing, cashing joint? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they say that they're they're insured, um, but definitely not to the level of a major financial institution. Well, we also have most uh, specifically here in terms of the crew, we have Jake who steps away to go buy drugs. That then leads to, on the one hand, kind of his downfall. I think also, for if we take a step in, back. In the one hand? <laughs> in the one hand, that's true. <laughs> Physically, he's maybe worse off than than some of the other robbers. Uh, morally, Pete, he did not commit the robbery, and I guess of his own. Uh, okay, maybe not of his own volition. You stick a knife through somebody's hands, maybe they're a little bit more pliable. But you know, he did he did also help slow this down or get help in some degree. So he's perhaps a bit less guilty, but uh, not in a not in a good position in life. Yeah. And you certainly don't want to paint someone with a drug addiction in a 100% villainous uh, category. Um, and as you mentioned, he does not participate in the robbery. Had he not been uh, jonesing for drugs and then been caught by Frank and Curtis and Madani and interrogated, he probably would have gone along with these guys. Um, the addiction took over and he needed to score and, uh, you know, he, he suffers as a result of that. So hopefully Matt, you know, let, let's, let's envision a scenario where this is a wake up call and he gets some stitches and we see a clean Jake towards the end of the season. Uh, also Pete, I'm realizing that the writer's room made him a drug addict so that he, you know, Mind you, it was mentioned an episode or two ago so that <gasps> he organically could get up and walk away, then be captured, then be tortured, then give up the information, then let the Punisher show up at the end of the midpoint of the season in the climactic uh, uh, Brooklyn showdown in the middle of the day in resplendent sunlight, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think we see what the writers did there. They gave him this thing so it could be a trapdoor through which the story went a couple episodes uh, after that. Those character arcs on those uh, whiteboard walls, Matt. And last but not least, Pete, we have Bobby, who I guess tried to do a quote-unquote good thing, and then it got worse. Although I guess for him, it still might get better. Maybe he'll be the one that walks away with all the cash in the end. Who knows? That he was trying to challenge Billy for alpha supremacy of this group of down on their luck veterans. And of course, 
Billy, even though we've hit the reset button, which has now been unreset, courtesy of uh, seeing Frank with the uh, the Punisher armor on there at the end of the episode, um, Billy was never going to allow that. So, of course, he cracks him during the training, uh, puts him in what Billy supposes is his place. And Pete, I think we see here the purpose of Bobby not just to offer up the silver platter of, hey, I have a bad thing that we could do that could then put us on a collision course with the Punisher, but his own little arc there, uh, disgruntled security guy looking for better option, you know, gets it with these guys. It gives all of this to Billy, who gets to not only mastermind the plan, but also to assert himself and it's like all that humility that we saw in Billy back in the hospital of I'm thinking of my brothers, the guys, Frank, Curtis, and that sense of unit and that sense of selflessness. It's all been highlighted here as Billy gets out of the hospital and has made his way through these seven episodes. It's now completely clear that he's back to being that fundamentally selfish uh, person. Well, let's talk some theories, Matt. And that this episode begins a year ago with Madani recovering in the hospital only to catch us up uh, and end mid-chase with Frank and Billy, I think is important here more than halfway through the season. She continues to be such a fascinating character, Pete. And we got a, a tweet from uh, at Nick Kleinhaus. Something tells me his name is Nick Kleinhaus. Uh, he said, the more I watch this show, the more convinced I am that as much as Frank is the anti-hero, Madani is the hero of the show. And I think that in this little kind of compact character arc that we get in this episode from her at such a low point in the hospital one year ago to the moral decisions that we see her make in this episode and the stand against kind of the Punisher tactics uh, I think Nick is on something here. She is on a heroic uh, journey of her own. I really like this interpretation. And to start the season with Madani in a bad way to be showing up twice a day to Billy's room, just, just waiting for him to reveal who he really is, who she believes he really is. And then to suffer this crisis of conscience to the point where she nearly allows everything she's sworn to uphold betrayed and and now she's found herself so yeah kudos to that listener there pete here's a theory from me uh basically this are we setting up and this comes from the perspective of i know nothing about the rest of the season so if i happen to be spot on i'm not ripping off from the future and if i happen to be way off well i think it's a good theory right now are we po is it possibly setting up that dumont is going to be the jigsaw by the end of the season we see that she's scarred up perhaps even more than we thought uh through last episode there's the discussion here about pleasure and pain and even Billy notes that she is crossing these lines, not in the bedroom, but crossing these lines in terms of morals and ethics. Um, I just wonder if they could be taking a twist there and the named Jigsaw becomes her. I like uh, that idea as well. And we saw it in one episode and they didn't show it to us again to this point. There were masks in her 
apartment um, that strangely were not there from a similar shot next time. So I'm not quite sure what took place. Um, same with her medals uh, were on the wall and then they're not. So I, I certainly think it's a possibility. I like the misdirection. Frank and Billy are on this collision course. If it truly gets uh, resolved this season, great. Could it, you know, be like last season where they could leave it open ended and pick it back up, or they could have gone in a different direction and just done Pilgrim this season, or or done another villain. Certainly could have gone that way. Um, you like the interplay between them, um, given that. Dumont has not yet had any interactions with anyone other than Billy and Jake. It's going to be interesting to see if that develops further. Certainly. I, I felt like in this episode, particularly some of the, some of the close quarter, and I don't mean, even mean in the bedroom, but some of the close quarter scenes with her and Billy, uh, where it's kind of highlighting, you know, he is so tall, the actor is so tall and she's on the shorter side, et cetera, et cetera. There was kind of a lack of, her power in this episode uh certainly her consent we discussed that last episode she's clearly consenting to everything but she kind of was you know a bit more uh, or a bit absent in power in this episode which just got me thinking hey here we are halfway point what's her arc going to be and you sense that there's this there's this fight in her that goes beyond her intellect so something to watch in the future you talk about the line that dr dumont is crossing how about the duality between Frank and Madani and what they'll do and what they won't do in order to get Billy? It certainly is interesting that Madani is willing to cross the legal line, but there is there, there's a moral line that's deeper than that or, or different than that that she's not willing to cross, um, which I, I think is just a fascinating place to put her as a character one would hope that morals and laws line up. Okay, maybe that's not always the case, but how about, hey, law enforcement person, you do your job by the book because it's the book and it's <laughs> law enforcement. She's willing to set so much of that aside, but a certain level of torturing uh, of, of torturing Jake is acceptable, but past that is not. I think on the one hand, it's a little scary to have somebody in her position of power who is making up uh, what is acceptable completely on her own, but she certainly has a more, I think, palatable moral compass than the Punisher himself. I think the camera technique that they use to kind of blur out the margins at times throughout this episode is really effective in terms of the haziness that she's seen the world through within the last year and that it's becoming clearer this is right this is wrong as opposed to where she's been was very effective from a visual standpoint. I agree. The only asterisk to me is that director Jet Wilkinson pulls that out both for Madani and for Billy. Uh, and I think both certainly are having moments of clarity and maybe that's meant to be a through line, you know, but to me it was kind of like, Hey, we use this camera trick for two different characters for, the same kind of revelation or, you know, similar enough. I know with, with Billy's it's kind of chronological and with Madani's it's moral, but kind of this ding, 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 wait, now I'm going to act slightly differently or I'm going to act in a different course in the same episode. 
I would like a little separation there, but I guess you got to direct the script they give you, not say, hey, let's move scenes around into other episodes. How about the mask that one of the vets is wearing? Uh, I, I could best say that it looks like the main character from The Hills Have Eyes. Kind of that bald face? Yeah, yeah, with the, um, you know, the kind of like pointy head. Yeah, they... Pete, here's what they should have done, which probably they were told no by corporate sibling, but corporate big brother, Marvel Studios. They should have done, here's my Thor mask, here's my Iron Man mask, you know, take a page from from uh, from uh, Spider-Man and whatnot. Um, and maybe that would have been too cute, particularly since the lighter flavored Spider-Man film did that already. But it was definitely, there were unique masks that they had, and... I wonder how much time went into that. Then we have just the completely out of left field. Hey, Bobby, why don't you have a rubber mask? Because I have a latex <laughs> allergy. It was like, uh, okay, uh, is that the character? Is that the actor? Is that Keep, keeping it real? <laughs> yeah, um, true. How about that when they practiced, the dude who was always playing the security guy also wore a mask? I, I had. I had wondered why they would do that. Maybe it's some sort of, you know, headspace um, thing. Like this is go time. This is the the, the part we're playing. I don't know. Um, maybe it's just to communicate to we, the audience, like, hey, everybody that we're seeing are the bad guys, even when they're playing the good guy. Um, but yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird use of these masks all around. And then... I got to take the show slightly to task, Matt. And I think we have similar sentiments. We knew that Billy's memory would eventually come back. He's seen this skull. He's drawn it in the dream journal. He's had exhaustive therapy about this. Uh, but now he sees it on Frank. Uh, first, he doesn't recognize Frank's voice. Cause of course, Frank has the devil mask on. He's, he's, the devil of not hell's kitchen, <laughs> but then the devil uh, of Brooklyn, the devil of Brooklyn, he sees the skull and he freezes. It felt like a little too much of a plot contrivance and that this episode doesn't end so much as it stops. And then you watch the next one to pick up in the chase. Well, that ending certainly surprised me. You know, I'm kind of like watching the the timer. Oh man, how will it end? And all of a sudden, it literally just ends mid scene. Um, I still contend, Pete, that like Jeff Loeb or somebody else at Marvel TV has been like, enough is enough, and they take what I imagine to be the trade newspaper newspaper, although it's probably you know just a an article they read online, but enough's enough slam. I'm sick of hearing these Marvel Netflix bloat things. How can we build an awesome middle while the middle is going to be Billy finds out Frank has, uh, has uh, betrayed him and that Frank is the source of all his, uh, bad dreams. Uh, and we end with a climactic, you know, shootout. So it's not kind of Luke Cage season one, part one, part two, one bad guy, the other bad guy, like we're just going to power on through this middle here. Um, I don't know, perhaps that's the genesis, but as to Billy having his moment there, I would not have minded if 
the show in its presentation had committed to kind of pausing time. Like I will accept if Billy goes, oh, oh, and if we spend five or eight seconds of him, flash, 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 but nothing else seems to happen or slow motion or whatever, I think we kind of would be like, all right, well, it feels like this moment. We've all had that moment where, you know, something surprising feels stretched out over time. But what what we have is guy next to him, blurry, oh, shot, falls, somebody else, Frank shooting at full speed, like everything else continues around him, giving the viewer the impression that Billy just stands there kind of why you, why you, why you, as, uh, as this fight happens, which may be the case with a big psychological moment like that, but it doesn't make for a great narrative moment. With that, Pete, let's not stand around going, whoa, 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 whoa. let's check the mailbag. <laughs> To the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt, where Martina Seidel writes in, I've finished the season, and it's interesting the frustration you feel here already. Uh, She was commenting on the 203 Trouble the Water uh, podcast uh, posts on Facebook. I'm curious to see how you'll like it. I think it's definitely picked up. My biggest qualm early on was, can we get just that exposition for the mask? See, I I enjoyed the slower start to things um, in, in those first two episodes. I enjoyed that they mimicked um, that they mimicked the first season with its kind of one episode prequel of sorts. I continue to be amazed that with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. being as narratively successful with having these pods for the last couple seasons. And, okay, last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was not the highlight of the season, but... Or the, the way, series. Or the series. Um, <laughs> yeah, both pods were not the highlight of its season, if that's possible. Um, to me, to me, these smaller bites make more sense. I enjoyed Luke Cage season one, where they had a similar thing of surprise, surprise, the first half bad guys, not the second half bad guy. I'm surprised that the other Marvel shows have not really followed suit with that or changed up the pattern in any way. You know, in Star Trek Discovery, we're watching a season here where very consciously it's like, you know, the season premiere and get ready for the whole season story. And then the next episode is kind of sort of standalone while also serving the larger story. But much of that we're going to leave behind us. Um, I, I, I guess I'm not frustrated that I'm not frustrated with the pacing in part because this now is not a 13 episode thing. You know, it kind of sort of is, but it also is the first two episodes on their, are their own mini thing and leaving Ohio to be continued for the next 11 episodes. It's so very different from any of the other shows that we have in the Marvel cinematic universe that it could be it's, own thing i mean potentially it is the the least connected to the film side um and then you look at the way i i loved the the season two opener loved that episode it it might be the best one that we've seen thus far um but that that second episode was really kind of shaky the, the third one that, um, you know, where Martina was leaving the comment on Facebook for that post uh, with the, the sheriff station, you know, brought it back up in terms of, I think, the standard that we're used to. Um, I really am interested to see where Pilgrim and Billy intersect and how Frank combats the both of them. It certainly is interesting to think that with six episodes to go, 
um, there's still the two main bad guys out there, kind of still the same forces that we've had all season still exist. And it's not a criticism. It's just kind of like, oh, here we are with less of the season in front of us than behind us. And everybody's made progress, but these things haven't been tied up in any way. So to have the big Frank-Billy battle, however long that's going to last outside this uh, th- this car chase that we end the episode with, then the Pilgrim thing, then the Schultzes. Again, it's the anti-Netflix bloat here. Let's just hope they follow through and uh, avoid the bloat nonetheless. Pete, helping make it possible that we can have secret meetings with the CIA. Wait, what? Anyhow, here's our opportunity to say thank you to those who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. And you also keep us from uh, getting masks and making a huge mistake. Uh, also, it makes sure that Marion James doesn't come to visit us. And uh, and we get tied up with all that stuff. So thanks, as always, to the people who support us. Pete, thanks, too, to the people who contact you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,334 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH, like it today. Pete, we will be back tomorrow to talk episode 203 of Star Trek Discovery, then Sunday for more uh, Punisher, almost called Daredevil. Pete, you messed me up here, the guy in the red mask. It's it's a little confusing. I didn't mess you up. You you had a flashback is what happened. What? What? To, to happier times when we had more... Um, heroes operating in new york uh, indeed although when all four of them got together it wasn't that great but anyhow pete we'll be back then to talk more about those things and those stuff with that i will say mm, yeah to all our listeners and give you the final word now if it weren't for this guy you would all be dead so next time you see him do the right thing make him employee in a month or something <laughs>